Today's episode of The Greatest Stories Never Told is brought to you by Smart Leash Co. Supplying the highest quality surf leashes and their parts so you only pay for the necessary. Once is not enough. Follow Smart Leash Co. at www.smartleashco.com On Instagram at, at smartleashco I use them, they're fucking genius. When you snap your leggy, you have the parts to replace and uh, keep your leggy going. And yeah, just a, a world-class leash with the added bonus that it is able to be repaired and get you back on your craft and in the cone zone. Made by a proper core lord cone fiend himself in Dan down here, our native Balna. Well played. Fantasies. Pulsing swells. Them who knows them, seven tales on distant reefs, on fatal shores, heroes and heroines from days of yore. They live on the fringes, pack mondo cones, orbs of mortal conequence, pulverizing bones, adventures and nightmares for young and old. These are the greatest stories never Welcome to The Greatest Stories Never Told. This week I'm dipping into my back catalogue with News Limited and an article about the time I nearly killed this knife-happy grom from the Woolloomooloo Housing Commission with a running stiff arm. You'll notice there's some quotes in here from the boxing great Denny Green on the topic of king hits and youth violence. This article coming on the back of that media panic about king hits following the death of 18-year-old Thomas Kelly in King's Cross following a dog shot from Kieran Loveridge. I thought I'd chip in with one of my own stories from my days living that lifestyle. Interesting to note, Woolow where these hoodlums were from, has developed a bit of infamy in recent years on the back of Spanion's rise to fame. Spanion, or Anthony as I knew him back in the day, uh, used to rip cones in the room just down the hall from me in Bondi as a grom, along with countless other Willow hoodlums. He was mates with my Howzo street brother, who me and mum formally adopted during high school after years of him living on and off of us. Point being that I was on good terms with heaps of crew from Willow, but didn't have much to do with the generation beneath them, other than this stink and another at North Bondi where I tried to dogshot this big roided up Grom who was beating up his chick in the park at night. Uh, but the Grom I lit up in this yarn was known to me. I knew he carried knives and had already been put away for stabbing someone. Knife crime and armed robberies were very common when I was a teenager getting around Bondi in the city, all during a time before billions of dollars in foreign and domestic capital poured into the city and pretty much wiped any trace of us ever existing. Diary of a Brawler, the night I almost killed someone. You don't forget the night you almost kill someone. It was nearing midnight on a Saturday night and we, the nucleus of a rugby league team from Sydney's southeast, had been making our way through the cross looking for a taxi. 
I'd beg that we didn't, that we take the long way round and avoid the guaranteed shit show that was the cross on a Saturday night. No one listened. Just past King's Cross Station, it kicked off. We'd run into a crew from the nearby housing commission. Someone stared at someone too long and it was on. I turned when I heard screams and saw a wild haymaker from our prop forward miss and slam into a Perspex phone box. It was a pretty big brawl, five on five, five on seven, something like that. It spilled out onto the road. People ran, others gathered round to watch the show. It looked paired up evenly enough, so I just stood there. As it began to fizzle, a friend of mine who had been doubled over with his hands covering his head as two attackers laid into him, looked up just in time to catch a free kick to the face. I knew the kid who'd done it. He liked knives and had already done a bit of time in juvie. I called him out looking for a square up, but he legged it. I chased him down and hit him on the run of a swinging arm. He was out before he hit the ground, sliding lifelessly across the ash felt. I covered up and got out of there. It was all smiles when our crew met up at a pub on our side of town later, but beneath it I was a shell. Searing anxiety would send me staring into the distance for I don't know how long, and I'd remain that way for the next couple of days until I got word the kid was fine, bar a bit of a graze on his face. When I hear people talk about the scourge of street violence in this country today, I cringe and know it was me. Growing up in Sydney's southeast, fights were a constant, just as they were in Mount Druitt, Macquarie Fields, Bulleye the Tweed, or any other semi-suburban district you can name. Legendary Australian boxer Danny Green says it's become part of our culture. There is a real problem with the culture in Australia, where young blokes think it's tough and cool and brave to start trouble at the slightest hint of a confrontation, Green says. Hunting in packs is also something that is creeping in with the next generation. Both are very cowardly. Society is slowly degenerating, I feel, and people are not being held accountable for their actions, he says. Brawling is a ubiquitous feature of Australian youth culture. For the unimaginative, it is a shortcut to fame and notoriety. For others, it is an unconscious continuation of an old convict tradition. Though mostly, I found it to be the preserve of the weak and the traumatised. An easy way for those tainted by a tortured upbringing to cover up deep-seated feelings of inadequacy and insecurity. Leading youth psychologist Professor Michael Carr-Gregg calls these guys the, quote, new breed of Australian male. Extremely narcissistic, underfathered adolescent males with no respect for authority, little exposure to tradition or ritual, and few, if any, skills in anger management, he says. But it's not a new thing. Broken boys brawling it out in streets and parks has been a reality of Australia since penal colony days. The origins of the nation involve a deep legacy of violence, both among those transported to Australia as a punishment for crimes committed on another continent and those who join them in the settlement of this country, says an Australian Institute of Criminology report into violence from 1989. The tenets of toughness, standing your ground and standing up for yourself are key aspects of the Australian male identity. Many of our most beloved heroes and cultural creations, from Ned Kelly to State of Origin, Underbelly and the Bra Boys, are born from it. 
when combined with complicated and still yet to be fully understood social issues such as the internet and the breakdown of the family unit, you've got yourself a real problem. A culture of self-indulgent thuggishness is being incubated, primarily in broken families and fueled by alcohol, drugs and the normalization of violence in popular culture, explains Professor Michael Carr-Gregg. So many of the violent offenders I knew came from broken families. The ease with which irresponsible parents pop kids out then shirk the responsibility of raising them has created a serious burden for the rest of us. But no matter how much you want to, you can't blame the kid. Rejection at the hands of a parent is a crippling thing for a young brain to endure. And the ensuing years of torment, tears and inadequacy almost always gives way to the toughest, meanest facade you can imagine. It's the yin and yang of street violence. Weak on the inside, tough on the outside. It might be a ruse to conceal the broken little boy within, but the anger and violence is real. It wasn't just the cross where I saw and participated in brawling. That's where it made headlines, but I just as routinely see it at the beach, the park, at a 21st birthday, or on the sidelines of a suburban rugby league game. Anywhere, an excuse to brawl. Lockout laws will never fix this problem. They are a band-aid. The violence within these young men will always be there, no matter what time they can get a drink in a city or how many cops are on the street. The real path, if we want to help end it, is far more complex. Education is vital, and more importantly, how these kids are raised, offers Denny Green, adding, harsher ramifications penalty-wise would be a deterrent also. For me, the answer was to get out and leave it all behind. I left the friends and the bored, destructive environment we inhabited and went in search of a place where violence, aggression and intolerance weren't tolerated. I chose life. I hung out on Oxford Street, the famously eccentric gay district. The parties ran late, the conversations were good and it gave me a sense of privilege just for being given the chance to share in an environment as inspired and free as this. Who I was remained in me that is, the victim of three separate dog shots in my life, among other things. But there was no outlet and no reason to let it out in a world as stimulating and sophisticated as this. Choice and diversity was key. If you want to fix the problem of violence in this country, you need more of this. More life, more vibrancy, energy and creativity across all the dead spots and culture vacuums. Culture is the cure. The hardest part, personally, was accepting who I was and what I'd done in my previous life. As I grew older, I came to understand that I was part of a cycle and that the demons that ruled my life were not mine. They were passed on to me. These are things I still struggle with, but confronting it was the first step. For the many out there who haven't or can't or won't, I have all the time and forgiveness in the world. For them, you do what you can, but it's hard when the country is set up back to front.